What's up, bitches? And a special hello to my fellow mixed bitches out there. If you live in America, chances are you or someone you know is mixed. In this show, we talk about things we've given a whirl. I'm Steph. This is Darina. Hola, hola. Como están? And this is Roxy. Shalom. I don't know. I wanted to be cool. Shalom l'chaim. We're a mixed multicultural group, so it's only right that you introduce yourself in Jewish. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That wasn't probably appropriate, but who the fuck knows what we're doing now? We're on this train together. Sometimes we don't have a choice of what we have to give a whirl. Race is one of them. And today I'm talking about being mixed. I'm a Middle Eastern Japanese Habibi samurai. I joke that my ancestors were ahead of the curve. They got that international P and V before it was popular. Trendsetters. But really, a lot of people are mixed as a result of the worst parts of humanity. War, genocide, and all that chill shit. It's a reminder that even in the darkest time, love breeds life. I'm here because of love. My people persisted. And they fucked. Little background. My grandpa, Liston, was a European immigrant who came to America at a young age. He was in the army during World War II. And after he was stationed in Hachino, Japan, where he met the love of his life, my future Obachan, Grandma Seiko Matsuoka. Meanwhile, in America, Japan was still the enemy in most Americans' eyes. It's important to remember that while we were fighting against the genocide of the Jewish people, we were putting legal Japanese citizens in internment camps. The hypocrisy of racism is unbelievable always. But they ended up moving to America, and with the goal of many Asians living in America or moving to America, at that time, the goal was to assimilate, and that's what they did. If you've heard Asians be referred to as model minority, that's not a mistake. That was a plan that worked in terms of keeping some cultures quiet. But there's a line in In the Heights that means everything to me because it's exactly how we did things. It's when Abuela says, we had to assert our dignity in small ways. That's why these napkins are beautiful. That's why my mother's gloves were beautiful. Little details to tell the world that we are not invisible. From our meals to the sushi we would hand roll together in classic Asian way, my Obachan kept our heritage subtly coursing through our veins, even though we found a way to blend. On my mom's side, assimilation was also the name of the game as well. Part of my Armenian ancestors during the genocide of the Armenians were moved to various locations, one being Egypt, the other being Lebanon, which is where my mixed Middle Eastern came from. When my mom immigrated to America, luckily it was before 9-11, but it wasn't much different in the, ter- in the way that we viewed brown people, which was not good. She was called camelback and hump nose and various other disgusting terms, so she learned to keep her language and the culture quiet unless we were indoors. So when I was brought into the world, I kind of felt confused, and I think a lot of mixed people feel this confusion of... When can I fully be me? What is fully me? Where can I do this? Why don't other families do this? Why don't other people look like me? And that takes a long time to figure out your place in the world. And I was telling Roxy and Darina before I started this episode that it was confusing to 
kind of think about how I wanted to shape this episode because the experience of being mixed is confusing because I don't think we as a society have come up with the language that makes mixed people feel fully represented and at the same time make non-mixed people understand what our existence is. And from a young age, I remember questioning what it was to be mixed when I started to fill out medical forms and school forms that would ask you what your race was. And I felt weird feeling like, was I not enough in one place? And was I too much of another? So what I did was end up filling and checking the box other every single time. And I didn't know then what I know now, but that label changed me and made me see myself differently until I started to take ownership of that label because I really felt other, which is why I always feel represented and loved the character Mowgli in the Jungle Book because he was other. He was wild and he was a man cub in the jungle with animals and even though he wasn't like any of the animals he found a way to connect with all of them and that was a cool moment for me because I was like damn okay I don't have to be like everyone and they don't have to be like me but I can find a way to connect in a way that other people can't mixed people have a superpower that other people don't possess yet because I think that one day hopefully we will be a fully mixed race because race is such a social concept. It also has biological meaning to it, but it's more social in the sense that because I have white passing features, my existence as a mixed person is completely different than the existence of a mixed person who doesn't have Western accepting features, who might have a different looking nose or more slanted eyes or monolids. I didn't have that, so I was treated as the the privileged form of mix, which is what are you exotic something like that as opposed to I know a lot of mixed people feel more fear in answering that question I felt like I finally found a way to feel power in how I would answer that question but that was a the one thing I remember being younger and being like what am I and I know that Baloo set a line set a line in the jungle book where they wanted to put Mowgli back with people with humans because they thought his life would be better like that. And Mowgli said, you're going to ruin him. You're going to make a man out of him. And I thought that was really cool because I didn't need to be fully accepted by the world. It was kind of like my own existence and our existence as mixed people is okay. And, and in general, we're all fucking different. I don't want, I think all of us shouldn't be aiming to make a, a man out of ourselves because when we do that, we see the world through one view of existence and instead, we have these beautiful mixed people who can see the world through many different existences. And um, yeah, so that's just the one thing that I've learned to do in the, past, the course of many years of thinking about my identity and how it fit into the world. Who do you feel most comfortable with, Steph? Because hearing that is so interesting that you feel like you have white passing features, so you're accepted in a way that some other people might not be. But that might mean that you are too much of one thing, not enough of the other in, in your own words. Do you feel most comfortable with other mixed people, no matter what that mix is? Or is it based on the individual? Yeah, I think about this all the time. And I think that 
mixed people feel like, or at least in my experience, I feel like I'm connected to everyone, but I'm not, I don't, it's rare for me to feel fully seen by people. We have a friend, Tehran, he's a comedian, and we've talked about this because he's half Persian, half black, and it's a different experience. And it's not a complaint. It just, It is different, though. So I do think to answer your question, I, I probably feel most understood on a genetic level by other mixed people because it's a rare experience that you can't fully understand unless that was you. But when I'm in spaces, God love my Asian people, but it is... Uh, if you are not fully Asian, it's definitely different just because our, the world treats us differently. We were raised differently. I wasn't raised speaking Japanese. So a Japanese American who was raised speaking Japanese is going to be different than me. So although we have similarities, it's different. So the mixed people really, I think, feel each other on that. Because I know that you're a Harry Potter fan and there's a whole basically big storyline in that franchise about purebloods, right? And the word mudblood that gets thrown around uh, for people like Hermione who are not of pure blood. And it's the reason I'm bringing that up is because you're talking about being accepted in the West, but then you're also not fully accepted in the East, right? And so depending on what community you're in, you mentioned something about your mom and your family having to assimilate. Why do you think that a lot of us that move here, that immigrate and that have backgrounds that aren't pure blood for the purposes of being a white American, why do you think we have to assimilate to this culture, but then going to other cultures or being around other cultures, we have to assimilate to that? Why do we feel like we have to do that? Because it's easier. It's an easier way to do things. And I think that sometimes, especially when you have a family on the line, it's you are making a decision based on what you think is going to keep them safest and what you think is going to create the most opportunities for them. A lot of Asian and Arab cultures feel as though we're never going to be fully accepted. So especially for Asian cultures, it's keep your head down, don't complain, do the work, get back up, even if anything happens. And I think that we as a society, one of the cures could be critical thinking and the ability to accept nuance, but we're not there yet. And I think that mixed people are going to be a huge catalyst for that kind of change because you have to. A mixed person's existence defies the very way most people see race and understand race in America and in the world. Because you can't think that one race is better than the other or that one thing is better when when we are here, we're mixed and we're thriving separately. So I think like it just is was easier then than mixed people now. I have a completely different approach to uh, my culture than my parents do. And there's a lot of privilege in that. But I, I, I fight for every ounce of every part of my genetic sequencing, even if other people don't feel like it's valid for me to rep being Japanese as hard as I do or Arab as hard as I do. I don't give a fuck. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing about being mixed. You have to find a way to ascribe your own meaning into your existence because the world's going to try to do it for you. And they don't, they don't know shit. (laughs) They really don't know shit. You just spoke about your parents a lot. And do you know if they had a conversation prior to getting married about being a mixed family 
because there was already some mixedness in both of them, but merging together and having children, which I'm, I'm assuming is something they spoke about before they got married. Was that a, a concern of theirs? Uh, an exciting factor for them? Do you know if they, it even came up? Yeah, that I asked them that. It's a really cool question that I thought about because I said that some mixed people are the result of the worst parts of humanity. Some are the results of both the worst and the best. And I think that my grandparents made sacrifices that made it so my parents somehow met each other in law school. They did the complete immigrant American dream. They got their kids to college and uh, beyond that to law school to meet each other. And I I know that they had discussions about it. There was big cultural differences when they met the in-laws of one another but there are a lot of similarities because Lebanese people and Middle Eastern people are Western Asian, actually. And although they are a way louder people, and I remember asking my dad, like, why is mom's family so loud and yours so quiet? There's a lot uh, of the same integrity and morals, at least in their families. So while there were cultural differences they had to discuss and talk about, and they've said this to me, if you marry someone that's outside of your race, which is a massive possibility, then you just have to not be naive about it. I think that mixed love is a beautiful thing if you, it, if there's good reasons for it, if it's based in love and it's there's nothing fetishized about it, which I think American culture can fetishize mixed people and mixed babies in a really fucking weird way. But when it's true love and you understand the differences and respect the differences and want to be a part of the differences of that culture, it ends up being the most beautiful thing, which is exactly what happened. One of my favorite things growing up was seeing my grandma net who's Lebanese Armenian talk with my grandma Seiko who's Japanese and they just found a way to find the connection with each other and it was it was really magical to watch unfold that we can coexist totally in a world together but yes there was definitely conversations about it and then I think a lot of our upbringing was figuring out the navigation of how they wanted us to identify and how they wanted us to speak about our cultures. They were were a proud people, but my dad, one thing he always said was, all you have is your reputation. And on my mom's side, it was similar. So they were kind of, I feel as though they still have a more unsure way of how they wish to represent themselves out in the world than me but they've definitely passed down the cultures in a way that gives me the reins to define what I want to define in it it's a great answer Steph and explanation I have a question about just your experience growing up as a kid or as a teenager all the way to being an adult uh, both positive or negative uh, experiences that you had that have to do with you being multicultural bicultural like I call myself bicultural right but um, I'm technically both native Mexican as well as have some Spanish ancestry so I'm a lighter skinned Mexican and I've been treated both positively and poorly depending on which group of people I'm with for example in college when I moved to the states I went to a school that had mostly uh, white Americans as students. And so I was treated very differently for my, I had a much thicker accent back then. And I, and I kind of tried to get rid of that accent, which I'm 
it's it makes me sad that I felt I feel like I had to do that, you know. But then being in Mexico, I was treated better, quote unquote, because I wasn't as dark skinned as other Mexicans. Right. And so I'm curious as to what examples you can give us of your experiences and or things that you feel like you've had to do or change because of whatever stupid fear society puts on us. Yeah, for sure. It's so weird. Sometimes it be your own people <laughs> treat you the worst <laughs> in the most fucked up way. But I, but I get it. it. It is harder for darker skinned people across any culture. So I, I see where that comes from. And I do see by no means am I complaining about being mixed. I think it's, like I said, a fucking superpower. But there was a lot of unsureness growing up. I remember in fifth grade, we had a cultural project and I really wanted to teach my predominantly white class about my Japanese culture. And I spent the whole night preparing hand-rolled sushi with my obachan to bring to class. And I was wearing her kimono. And I was so excited and I was nervous because I had never really spoken about what I was. And I never thought, because I was a kid, that it could be taken badly because it was something that was so beautiful to me. So how could something I'm about to share be not the most awesome fucking thing ever? And I'm bringing you sushi. Like I was the it girl going to class. And then when I got there within minutes, I was called fish girl, smelly, like all the weirdest, meanest things. And I threw away the sushi And I called my grandma after and I told her what happened and she was confused because she hadn't interacted with that many Americans. Like she did here and there, but I don't think she really was expecting that from kids. But then you remember that kids are the result of their parents view and what they've taught them. And, and they didn't know about sushi. And now I know they're all at sushi shops eating sushi. But back then, it wasn't cool. And after that, it took me like, sadly, I want to say about 10 years to start claiming being Asian again. I, I don't think I told anyone in middle school or high school that I was Japanese. I don't think it was until college uh after my grandma, my obachan died. And then I realized that I had to be so proud to have any bit of blood from Japan and to keep her culture ingrained in me and her spirit ingrained in me. I had only one choice, which is to rep that shit until I fucking die. And I will do that now. But back then that was really confusing for me. I, I didn't get it. I was like, wait, we brought you Sailor Moon and all this anime and and great fucking food. And now I smell. <laughs> Steph, you didn't tell anybody you were Japanese because nobody had asked or when people would ask, you would just not tell the them the full truth. I would not tell them the full truth. Uh, There's a large portion. I said that I was Armenian and Greek I think we had family in Greece and my grandpa was raised in an orphanage in Greece so I think I felt some connection to that and thought that was a culture that was less dangerous quote-unquote to bring into conversation or more accepting I I just took a long time for me to be so proud of where I came from and what I am and to take back the ownership in my labels and how I choose to identify because 
it's hard when you're a kid and one of your first lessons of vulnerability was received in a way that made you never want to be vulnerable like that. And you think that the kids acted that way because that's how their parents taught them? Or didn't teach them. Maybe there were some kids who had never met an Asian kid or had never had sushi. And like it might have had nothing to do with me being Japanese and purely everything to do with the smell of fish. I don't know, but I was a kid, so. Any thoughts on what the parents could have done better? Yeah, I think that it's hard when you grow up in a predominantly white area to integrate your kids with as many mixed or different culture people as you can. But I think if you can do that, if you can get them in clubs or schools or sports, their teams that have mixed people, have different looking people than yourself, that's a great start. Also, there are so many different movies and books that have to do with different cultures that you can teach in a fun way. So I, I remember, you know, growing up knowing a lot about other cultures. We grew up learning about Mexicans and Jewish people and different forms of Asian people, African people, black people, whatever it was. My parents, one thing they did really cool was we always grew up learning about different stories. And I don't think a lot of people do that in their own households. That's a very good point. It's different when a kid asks you something that, oh, like your eyes are different than mine. And a kid is just curious about the way you look and they they just ask a question that's very different than specifically calling you names or being insulting outright as opposed to just being curious, right? So there's a huge difference there. And I think that the part that comes with name calling and being insulting, it does come from kids possibly seeing that in their household or, or somewhere else and then they just repeat it, unfortunately, because fear and hate is taught. It, it, we're not born with it. One of our good friends, Kate, Kate Mulligan, she's a comedian. She has a kid with alopecia. And one of the most dope stories she did to explain the difference of how we can teach our kids to communicate is she said all the time, his name is Neil and he's asked questions like, what's wrong with you? Why are you, why are you bald? Why don't you have hair? Like super demeaning. How do you answer that as a child? And she said one girl came up to him and said, hey, I noticed you don't have hair. What's up? Like in a very curious and kind way that's just like it's noticing something about someone and asking in a way that's genuine it's kind of like the difference of being like I don't see race I don't see color and being like no fuck that that doesn't make sense of course you see race of course you see color but are you genuinely interested in in it are you do you want to learn more it's it's not about the ignorance of saying you don't notice the difference it's not what we're asking people it's about acknowledging the differences and wanting to connect with that yeah i i think it's really important to talk about and interesting to talk about because the reason I asked you about what the parents can do is not because it's your responsibility to teach parents how to parent their children but is because if I ever have a child which I'm very far away from and they ever go to school and call a little Steph Sabra fish girl I will fucking punch them in the face and so I need to avoid having to do that it's not nice to talk about child abuse. I'm sorry. I won't actually punch them in the face. But we have to figure out how to better educate our children. And exposure is such a massive tool in educating them. Because hopefully you grow up in a household 
that does do what your parents did, which shows you all different cultures, or at the very least on Friday nights, order sushi for dinner so your kid is not surprised when fish is something that's brought to school. Uh, and again, it's so not your responsibility, but I think it's a huge for any parents listening or anybody who has the opportunity to talk to kids. It does start at that age, and it's just so it's so wrong, and and it made you hide who you were for a decade, just one experience, and that's what the, the power of children. So, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I also am curious: Do you feel like your experience differed a lot from your siblings? I don't know what they looked like when you were younger obviously you have a twin sister but you guys are different looking and your brother is different looking as well did they have a a drastically different experience you did or did they have more similar experiences to what you did yeah kind of jack my brother looks like a white guy and we don't know what happened he's blue-eyed and fucking beautiful and looks white (laughs) and always has and doesn't have an olive tone to his skin tone we don't get it but I, I know for sure he's my brother and that's the crazy part about genes and race is that it just matters how it manifests and it doesn't actually matter. But I was always way darker than both of my siblings, especially when I was growing up. And I noticed that people noticed that people said it. They made comments. I, I remember when I was really young, there was a parent who asked my mom if I was adopted because I looked different than Kim, which is weird to think about because we weren't that different. I was just a little bit darker. But Kim, my twin, looks very mixed Middle Eastern, I would say, as well. She, uh, She gets a lot of the same questions as me. She's identified differently with race across time. I think now my brother is in my boat where we've ascribed our own meaning to our backgrounds and really really value it and want to learn more and dissect it and uphold the parts of it that we love and drop the other parts that we don't really care about or need in in the way that we exist kim is um not she's interested but not as fully connected if that makes sense like she doesn't it's I guess it's not as important, I think, when she's defining herself as it is to me. And why do you why do you think that is? Why would it be more important to somebody than another person when defining themselves? I think how you choose to want to be in the world, my passion and my reason for being a host in the space is because I've always thought that if I'm going to be mixed – if I'm going to have all of these unique experiences that I really feel like are a gift and different from most, then I can be, I have the opportunity to be a bridge for people and connect cultures. And so because I believe that's my passion and part of my purpose, I value and am constantly grateful for my genetic makeup. Kim is an incredible lawyer who is doing great things, but her job and her purpose isn't as directly intertwined with her culture, if that makes sense. Although it is very important to my entire family. Like when we go home, depending what side of the family we're with, we're listening to that type of music, whether it be Japanese or Arab music, we're eating that kind of food, whether it be Japanese or Middle Eastern food. So it's it's very much a part of her life. It's just a little bit different. That makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, it, it's uh, wild that you get to choose and something probably you don't know until you're mature enough to know that you get to choose how involved some any aspect of your life is in your life and how much you decide that is a huge part and it sounds like you're using it as one of your superhero strengths, which is something I think little Steph bringing sushi to school would be incredibly happy to hear that it might have taken a minute, but she got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Hell yeah. Well, I love that you brought up In the Heights because obviously that's a movie that we love because it's a really good movie. And uh, that line that Abuela says about the little details to tell the world that we're not invisible. What do you think you are doing now as an adult, being proud of who you are and, and all your cultures, and then sharing that with the world, right? Because y'all know that I, being Mexican, take y'all to the best taco places, obviously. And, and I teach y'all about the different holidays we do and, and El Grito, because I'm very proud of how loud and obnoxious we can be and we like to dance. So I'm just curious as to like what type of things you love that you are sharing with the world because of who you are. Yeah, I think every year I try to do more of that. It's one thing I love about you, D, is the way that you, in Roxy, with being Jewish, you've both introduced parts of your culture that I would have never been introduced to if I didn't know you. So that's definitely things I'm learning from you two and wanting to do more of. But the little things is that I always at least a few times a week and eating Asian or Middle Eastern food. Food is so important in so many cultures and definitely important in those two cultures because they are different. They are unique. Every bite you're forced to remember that it's spicy and it's good and it's different and you should keep that and, and never forget it. I also recently connected more to the religion of Buddhism. I'm not a fan of organized religion, but my grandma grew up Buddhist. It's big in the Japanese culture. And I feel like even if people aren't Buddhist in Japan, a lot of the way that Japanese people live, the way that they dignify themselves, the way that they don't have real attachment, it's more of a sense of community. It's quiet, but it's listening. Those qualities I... I really love in the Buddhist religion and I feel like I remind myself to integrate those traits into my daily life and my personality and I also try to just never never be shy again of what I am and who I am because so often if ever I never see people who really look like me and fully represent what I what I am and what makes me me and I have to be proud and loud because hopefully one day there or right now there is a, a little Steph who feels a little bit more seen because they see me or hear me yeah it's crazy that we are the results of our own generational trauma because I, I do I really connect to a lot of what you're saying and I think that the the Jews decided that we were going to be so loud that you can't kill us quietly. And Japanese people decided if we're quiet, you won't kill us. And it's it's interesting to hear so many years you, you opened up talking about internment camps, which still we don't acknowledge as a people to be one of the biggest atrocities of our nation. But I think that it's it's something that still every day you're choosing to fight against that instinct to be quiet because of 
your past and your ancestors. And I wonder if that is a a day-to-day choice for you or once you kind of made the choice, like I'm going to be here and loud and proud and represent if you haven't turned back. I would say it's once I made the choice, it probably wasn't all of a sudden that I felt totally comfortable and defaulted to that way of doing it. But now it definitely is my way of doing it. On my social media profiles, I have my flags because A, I know you're going to ask anyways. <laughs> and, and B, I'm fucking proud of them. So I do think that once I started down that path, it's really stayed. And if not, I, I think I just continue to get louder and louder about it. There's another thing I was curious about that you mentioned early on that I flagged and never know quite how to ask about. So forgive me if I step in it, but you talked about fetishizing people. And this is, is, is such a, a hard concept for me to fully grasp as a white girl because, I mean, there are, I guess there are people who fetishize white blonde girls and that's fine. But I think it comes with a whole different territory when you're being fetishized for for being mixed, for being Japanese, for being mixed Middle Eastern or, or whatever it is. What is that? What is it when you are being fetishized? And when you talked about if you're trying to be in a mixed relationship, making sure you're doing it for the right reasons, what are the wrong reasons? This is a really interesting question. It is different for every race in terms of how we are fetishized. For Asian women, we are classically fetishized as sex symbols and and used for sex and in that way of just highly sexualizing Asian women for generations, even within our own cultures. But then when you look at the fetishization of black women and black men, and I would say both of them experience it differently, black women probably more aligned with Asian women, highly sexualized uh, not often listened to or respected in, in a way with black men, highly sexualized, but more like they've always in society since the beginning uh, of slavery and Jim Crow depicted black men as as predators of white women and they steal your white women and they mix these half-breed children and So there's a gross side to the fetishization that ends up in really disgusting acts to people of color. But then there's also the, it's gross, but there's an innocence to it that I don't think people realize that they're doing it, but we need to realize that you're doing it. That because something's different, we think it's sexier and we want it. And we see these mixed black and white babies and we're like I want a mixed baby they're so fucking pretty and I get it they are mixed babies are fucking adorable but it it's weird to start thinking that the very least important qualities of a human is our looks because that's what we're born with and it doesn't mean anything we didn't have to work for our looks and while we can be villainized for our looks sometimes we're it becomes our only thing that matters to people. And so I think that it's a long way of answering that people will like hypersexualize different cultures. And to answer your second part of your question of what I think is the bad way, I think that there are a lot of people who get into relationships and I see it oftentimes with, with black people and they don't actually understand or did any research to 
know what it is like to be black in America and the differences of how black Americans are treated than other people. So when you marry someone who is black or brown, while not acknowledging how their existence is different and how people treat them differently, then you've completely invalidated their existence. And there's no way that you can actually form a deep connection with someone if you don't do that work. So I think mixed relationships are completely possible, beautiful. I'm the result of them. But you have to understand someone's culture. You can't just like go in and invalidate and be like, oh, racism doesn't exist because my kid is half black. Like that kind of bullshit. Where you, Or you'll see like I, white moms who have half black kids and they like don't know how to do their hair and like make fun of their hair and do racist terms like they're nappy. And it's like. That's your fucking child. So now you brought a child into this world and you haven't done any of the work to understand what now your child's existence is going to be like. It's interesting to fetishize somebody, but then at the same time fear that and throw hatred towards that because of how our society can be messed up that way. I've met several white American dudes that have the quote unquote Asian fetish, but that doesn't mean that they respect Asian women, even though they possibly want to hook up with them mitch mcconnell (laughs) uh granted that's also not an asian woman i personally respect but that's for another conversation um because guess what doesn't matter what you look like you can still be corrupt yeah but you don't but you don't not respect her because she's an asian or a woman exactly you just don't respect her because she's a nut job yeah (laughs) it's an important distinction i think it's it's something that i have to acknowledge that I might not ever fully understand and just try to support as best as I can because I am somebody, as as a world friend pointed out to us the other day, I don't really have a type. And so I have dated people from all different races and I always try to check myself and make sure that I'm listening to my friends, especially my friends who are not white, and make sure that I'm not doing something wrong. Because the last thing that I want to do is contribute fucked upness to this world. And so I I really ask for personal reasons as well as for a greater understanding to make sure that it is okay for me to date people because I find them attractive and that I'm I'm not further causing issues, if that makes sense. No, a hundred percent. And I I do say it and I say it mildly because I think that most people don't fetishize people that way. I know for a fact you don't, Roxy. I, I know that you don't really have a type. Your type is the United Nations. It, it, it spans across many a cultures, and that's fucking awesome. I also know that you're one of the most curious people ever, so I don't think that you would ever end up with someone and not understand what their holiday that they're celebrating is, why it matters to them why they would teach this to maybe your future children together. It's more than just, of course, we find other people attractive just for attractive sake. But why are you going to spend the rest of your life with them? Why are you going to build a life with this person and maybe bring children into this world and not understand who actually that person is and not value them for what's inside and understand that as opposed to what their aesthetic is. So you are not in that group at all is what I'm saying. 
Have you felt that way about yourself before? Do you feel like you've dated people who are fetishizing you? Um, okay, yeah, because I've dated across the gambit, too. I've had white boyfriends, black boyfriends, brown boyfriends. So I don't really think that I have been fetishized. I haven't felt that way in the people that I've been with. But I definitely feel like none of the people I've dated yet have yet to understand me or care about the different sides of me. What is a good first step to understanding somebody who is mixed? Experiencing things with them. I think, you know, taking notice to how they're received in the world. What holidays are they celebrating? What food are they eating? How are they doing it? Just asking genuine questions of curiosity, I think, can lead to better understanding. So a mixture of asking questions and observing. The point of the World Girls is to create more tolerance and joy in the world. Uh, In the world, get it. And hopefully some of these white boys that do fetishize Asian women end up learning from this and and trying to actually respect them. Uh, That would be nice. Send this podcast to your white guy friends and say, hot Asian woman talks and then just dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) See what happens. Make them listen. (laughs) That's great. I I mentioned this earlier that it kind of bumps me out when I think about the assimilation process of a lot of us, uh, whether it's somebody like Steph that's super mixed, whether it's somebody like me that's technically an immigrant, for all of us that have moved to the United States and think that we have to assimilate them, that we have to be a certain way to fit in, I guess. Uh, It makes me sad that, you know, I kind of, like, if I talk really fast, my accent comes out. And I'd rather just talk like that. But yet to this day, I still am conscious about it because I constantly got Uh, made fun of it for that or for example I used to have friends that are no longer friends that just used to make jokes all the time about just me being Mexican like they'd bring up the South Park episode that like I would show up and they'd be like taco taco burrito burrito which is fine like I don't care like I fucking love South Park that stuff isn't as bad to me as outright white supremacy and like hatred and when you're going out and like violent groups like the Proud Boys that are actually trying to cause violence. That's a huge difference in that. But what do you think we we can do just for anybody that's like you, Steph, or in my position to not have that fear and insecurity of like who we are and just be freaking proud and try to share all our love about our own cultures to the world? We have to be the risk takers we have to be the ones to change the way of how we do things and that means really really taking that pledge it's an oath really if you are going to choose to exist in the most you way that represents you wholly and that doesn't harm anyone you have to be prepared and ready to support everyone in every group across any nation who wants to live the way that they want to live. You cannot be fighting for our rights to be loud and proud as mixed people and not uplift the trans community. You cannot be wanting to have an accent and not be judged for it while being against gay marriage. I think if we want to exist in a world that lets everyone exist how they need to and want to exist, you have to 
own that. You have to walk that walk in every single area. And there's a bunch of hypocrisy within races with brown people, our own people, Asian people. We can be not very nice to people that look different than us, that act different than us. And it's so fucking stupid because you're doing exactly what the world did to you. So you, I think that's the most important thing. We have to realize that if you want to be accepted, you have to accept everyone that's not doing any harm unto others. I have a question for both of you guys. Again, leave it to the white girl to not know how to ask questions about race. But so I might step in it. But I, I think something interesting about a lot of my mixed friends is that when when I ask you, Steph, what you are, and you'll you'll say I'm Japanese, Armenian, and mixed Middle Eastern. But your dad's dad is white, correct? Yeah, somewhere he's European and. And D, you have European background as well, white European background as well. Yeah, I, Iberian specifically. I'm, I'm native Mexican, but then uh, my mom's side has Spanish ancestry. I granted most people in Mexico are mestizos because of colonization. It's like, oh, they the Spaniards came and, and fucked our, our people. And so they made me white is what I tell people. So is that, I'm curious that maybe that is why you guys both don't really rep the white sides of you guys as much is it because it's embarrassing is it because it comes from trauma is it because you just don't connect to that side of you as much and does that question make any sense yeah it makes complete sense I I think I don't usually name it in the forefront for a few reasons a it is the culture that is the most mixed it when we did the 23 and me the mixed European was truly mixed European. There was not more than 2% from any country. So that's 25% of about 20 different countries or like 10 to 20 different countries, all of which I have no understanding or identity with. And in addition to that, my grandpa Liston, bless his soul, since I was a young, a young lad, a young Mowgli, he had Parkinson's. So it was, I was barely able to communicate with him, even though his brain stayed very intact, which was a a beautiful brain indeed. It was hard to really communicate with him on that level. So the, the cultural things that got passed down to my dad and me were from my Obachan side. And in turn, my grandpa Liston, though, was kind of like an Asian white guy. <laughs> he he was really Asian for a white guy. <laughs> he was quiet. He, they were the same person, which was crazy because they had completely different upbringings. But that's mainly it. It was the least vocal. It was the least vocal representation of my life, unfortunately, because of disease in a lot of ways. What about you, Dee? I mean... I was raised in Mexico, right? So I, I never even thought of the the whiteness, right? Like I, our culture is very much like you're Mexican and you celebrate uh, by dancing and it's more about uh, the things we do and, and we're huge football fans, you know, and, and uh, we're loud and proud uh, of who we are and our flag and we hate the government, but we love our culture. I do definitely remember though, being aware, obviously, as a kid of different colors and seeing the people around me react to people that look different in both ways. I remember in Mexicali specifically, uh, there is a huge Chinese population because they immigrated there in the 60s. Fantastic Chinese food, thanks to that. And it was so weird to talk to like my aunts 
and have them make fun of me, quote unquote, for having smaller eyes and being like, you're like the the chinitos from, from Mexicali. When it came to whiteness in general, I didn't really even think about it or experience it until I forget who it was mentioning like, oh no, you should date this boy instead of this boy because one of them was darker than the other one. Like they wanted me to date the the white looking rich boy instead of the darker looking boy that like I was totally had a crush on because we both sang Radiohead and shit like that. Right. So like, I remember definitely in the culture with Steve, that's like, it's better if you date somebody that's whiter, which I obviously rebelled in to all of those things because I rejected those things, knowing that I can empathize to those things because that's how they were raised. But my entire side of my dad's family is pretty brown. So so I kind of just grew up thinking that that's normal and okay. And I, I myself didn't want to be or look or try to be whiter, even though some people that I grew up with did think that that was a necessary thing, I guess, maybe for the purposes of survival or or class or whatever the hell. I know we also had a question from our intern, Sophia. It's a question I've often thought about as well, which is just, is it okay, Steph? Are you okay with people just asking you what you are? Uh, strangers, friends, is that an all right question to just go up to somebody and ask them what their makeup is? To me, yes, it's okay because I love humans and I choose to give the benefit of the doubt to humans that they are asking out of curiosity and interest. And I know that sometimes it makes us feel like an experiment or an other But I I try to give people the benefit of the doubt there. I would reframe the way you ask that question. What are you is the question I'm asked the most. And it is the weirdest way to ask the question as opposed to what's your background? Where are your parents from? What's your ethnicity? Those are questions that are more actually what you want to know the answer to than what are you? Well, I'm a human. I'm a girl. (laughs) It's just a weird question. So uh, not everyone's going to feel the same way. I've told you it's taken me a long time to be very proud of who I am, what I am. And now I feel like I can say it with my whole chest what I am. But not everyone's going to feel that way. And not everyone's going to feel comfortable answering the question depending on how they might take it. I know a lot of Arab people don't feel comfortable talking about their backgrounds as much for fear of being grouped in with ISIS or as a a very other small percentage of a group of people, but that we can do with people in power like Trump who made it seem like every, every brown person was Muslim and every Muslim was a terrorist, which is all wrong. So I would say reform the question to make it a little bit more kind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And do you think that the, the best version of that is just what is your ethnicity? Yeah. I do. If that's what you're asking, just ask what you're asking. Then I just ask it. Yeah. For this week's episode, I was thinking about what I wanted to do as a special segment. And then sometimes every now and then I like to write poems. So I was like, fuck it. Let's write a little poem about being mixed. So here it goes. What are you? What's your background? Where are you from? I can also play the what, where, why, and who the fuck are you game. Because really, who the fuck are you asking me what the fuck am I? But don't worry. I don't mind the questions. I don't take offense. I know you mean well. But I know why you're asking. 
I'm confusing you. You want to know. But truthfully, do you really care? But still, you must know. And first, you want to guess. And once you know, this is how most of you will address. Ethnically ambiguous. Oh, I don't know. She's everything. It's a mess. Welcome to the show. Did you care about the cultures I came from, my ancestors and their stories? Or did you want to be validated in the fact that I'm not one thing? I am many. I am many and the world will one day be made of many many's. Then we will have so many beautiful many's. While there are times where I feel less because I'm not part of a whole, I remember that I'm more, I'm many, I'm a mixed soul. I once needed you to see me, but now I think it's me that you need to see. We're more, we're many, we're the mixed souls. That is my little mixed soul poem. Steph, that was so beautiful. (laughs) I think my tear ducts are going through something that they don't go through very often because of that. That was beautiful, Steph. Thank you. Thank you. It was was really fun to explore this topic. And I know that we talk about pros and cunts a lot on this channel because life does seem to end up being a pro or a cunt in one way or another. And I would say that the biggest pro of being mixed is that you get to see the world in a unique way that no one else can. And you get to ascribe meaning to how you wish to see yourself. And I think that's the most powerful gift that we've been given as mixed people is the uniqueness in the lens that we see the world. So use that to your ability to connect people and cultures in a way that other people can't. And I would say the biggest cunt is that while we feel connected to everyone, sometimes it feels like we're not really with anyone at the same time. And that's weird, but it's also not true. We don't have to be accepted fully by anyone to be accepted as humans in this world. So even though that sucks and we're never really going to be 100% one thing or the other and we don't really have a full tribe to go with, I think the pro outweighs the cunt and that's just something we have to deal with. So... Thanks for being a bitch out of water with us and learning about what it's like being mixed from my perspective. We appreciate you listening. If you want to be the first to get all things World Girls, go to patreon.com slash the World Girls. That way you can watch our podcast taping, live, ask questions, and even video chat with us. Plus, we go live on youtube.com slash the World Girls every Wednesday and Sunday. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter and TikTok at The World Girls and on Instagram at World Girls WAP. We're new here. So if you like us and you're a bad bitch, don't forget to rate, comment and subscribe. We're all going to die. So stay wet, my friends. <laughs>